The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. All topics are provided for informational purposes only and are not necessarily endorsed. Neither Light On nor its host accepts responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions presented in this episode. All rights reserved. It feels like all our heroes are counting. We all know why. Because it's painful not to pretend. The world itself is just one big hoax. All right, Dr. Colin Ross is an internationally renowned clinician, researcher, author, and lecturer in the field of dis- uh, dissociation and trauma-related disorders. He is the founder and president of the Colin A. Ross Institute for Psychological Trauma. He obtained his MD from the University of Alberta in 1981 and completed his training in psychiatry at the University of Manitoba in 1985. Dr. Ross has authored over 260 professional papers and 36 books, uh, including Satanic Ritual Abuse, Principles and Treatment, The CIA Doctors, uh, and Military Mind Control. Uh, I picked out the most like lured ones. So Thank you. <laughs> to, to be fair, there's a lot more to that collection. Um, but uh, thanks thanks so much for, for coming. I really appreciate you talking. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. So... Uh, as I just mentioned, some some of that stuff and the stuff that you deal with uh, is it gets kind of relegated into the into the genre of like conspiracy theory, whatever that means, which is a phrase that I really hate because uh, it's sort of become synonymous with uh, something that innately isn't true right. uh, when really it's just a theory uh, that you can prove right or wrong. Uh, right. But it gets relegated in, into that. So I, yeah, I was one... nutcase, fringe, crackpot. Not right. True. Exactly. And, and whether you're left wing or right, right wing, it means left wing or right wing. It means the opposite <laughs> group anyway. Yeah, they like they like to split things in in uh, in twos like that, I noticed. Um but I was wondering uh what what made you kind of start covering this stuff and um you know, uh, what made you realize that there was some truth to it? Because this, th- there's a lot of skepticism in this in this realm. Uh, I mean, people within your own industry who really like go go hard at it. Uh, so there's two topics kind of on the table, right? There's satanic ritual abuse, and then there's CIA mind control, which are somewhat connected to each other, but mostly kind of separate. So. Which one do you want to start with, or does it matter? Uh, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Yeah, okay. whatever works. Well, so, as you mentioned, so I grew up in Canada, born there, medical school, psychiatry training. And I moved from uh, Winnipeg, which is sort of middle of the country, due south to the Dallas area in 1991. Because um, I started working at a hospital there and had a specialty program for dissociative disorders. And then I had... Uh, hospital-based program there from 91 till 2021. And also for 20 years had programs in Michigan and LA that were trauma, dissociative disorders, PTSD, et cetera. And so before I arrived, which was really November 91, I started working at the hospital. Not really particularly interested in CIA mind control, wasn't thinking about it. Nobody was talking to me about it. Satanic ritual abuse, I started to hear about at conferences 
from these kind of questionable therapists, but I never heard anything about it in Canada. So I thought, yeah, it's just those Americans. So then when I got down to uh, uh, Texas, within like a few months, two things started to happen. One is uh, patients were telling stories. So these are inpatients with multiple personalities, telling stories of uh, when I was a kid, my dad was a high priest in a satanic cult. All this stuff happened and went into a bunch of details. And then usually separate people started telling me when I was a kid, I was taken to a military base or taken to some sort of lab and these experiments were done on me and, and they were deliberately creating alter personalities to use in future missions when I was growing up. And in the satanic cult, it was sometimes they're deliberately creating alter personalities to participate in rituals and sometimes it was just that was my coping defense strategy. So I started hearing about all this stuff nothing in the professional literature to offer any guidance whatsoever um really no zero published papers in the whole mental health literature on satanic ritual abuse really zero on cia military mind control as well so no guidance whatsoever you know no treatment guidelines or professional association recommendations it was just like nothing go figure so um I started reading a little bit of background stuff on history of cults and history of Satan and so on. That was extremely interesting. There's a four books by the same author on the history of Satan, not Satanism, but Satan, like in the Bible and his different cultural manifestations. So there's a lot of interesting background reading, uh, which is in my satanic ritual abuse book. And then on the CIA military mind control side of things, there were a few books already published, <clears throat> no professional papers or literature, but really nothing in the way of treatment guidelines. So then I decided, okay, well, I'm going to look into both these things. I soon found out there's no objective, like lockdown proof, court level proof of organized multi-generational satanic cults that sacrifice babies and so on. And the more I looked into it, the more it was kind of looking in the fog for some sort of hard objective evidence, never found anything. But on the CIA mind control side, it was a completely different experience. So it starts off with, I don't know about this stuff. And then started looking into it in the early 90s. I went, I um, so this is when everything's pieces of paper in envelopes with stamps on them, right? So I write down to the CIA and they arranged for me to come down to a reading room in the, the D.C. area because I was at a conference at the same time. So then I hop in a cab, go to this reading room, um, which I can describe in more detail. But mm -hmm. I basically went through, um, they rolled in a cart into this reading room. There's 149 files, which are all the MK Ultra projects, uh, which was a mind control program that ran from... Uh, well, CIA military mind control started really in 1950, maybe a little before that. The CIA was created in 1947, uh, so there can't be CIA mind control before 1947. Right. In 1950, this is all documented. CIA doesn't deny it. It's just facts. Right. They created this mind control program called Bluebird, 
which was three months, that was April 1950. Korean War didn't start till June. So the disinformation that, oh, well, we just did that in reaction to what the communist Chinese were doing with their brainwashing, is clearly not factually true because it was three months before the, the beginning of the Korean War. And then Bluebird was rolled over to Artichoke, and then Artichoke was rolled over into MK Ultra, and then MK Ultra was rolled over into MK Search, and then all of that stops in 1973. Everything in terms of CIA mind control programs after that is classified. And then there's a whole bunch of other projects, um, which I didn't review those in this reading room. I just looked at MKUltra. Um, Project Often, MK Naomi. There's a whole you know set of them. Yeah. So these programs existed. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And when we look at um, Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib, you know, the public domain information that's come out of there. Now we talk about, um, we have different euphemisms, but one is um, enhanced interrogation, right? That's the current term. So enhanced interrogation involves what, and nobody says there's no such thing. It's been debated, you know, in Congress, and is it torture or isn't it torture? Is waterboarding torture? How much was it used? Yeah. What was the uh, intelligence... You know, benefit of all these techniques. So all that gets debated and denied and there's accusations. But everybody agrees that waterboarding was done, that enhanced interrogations were done, and that there's CIA military black sites around the world where who knows what was done exactly. So what we know from public domain photographs and information from Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay is um, sensor deprivation, isolation, hooding, having to sit or stand in painful positions for long periods of time, having your religion attacked and insulted, the, the Quran being ripped up in front of you, um, electric shock from batteries where wires are attached to different parts of your body, uh, humiliating you sexually, guys being forced to take their clothes off and do sexual stuff or get in groups with each other with a female military officer present, humiliating. This is all photographs that are in the public domain. Mm -hmm. So those are the techniques of mind control experimentation. Hypnosis, sensory deprivation, uh, mock attacks with dogs is another big one that's used. Um, so there's a whole array of different techniques. So when we call it mind control, then it's like, ooh, mind control is not real. It doesn't exist. It's a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. But when we call it enhanced interrogation, there it is. <laughs> so mind control is no more you know, science fiction, not real, than enhanced interrogation. And the purpose of it is, uh, so teenage boys are always trying to practice mind control on teenage girls, right? <laughs> So people are always trying to control other people for all kinds of purposes. Sure. Um, but the, the CIA and the military have invested bazillions of dollars over more than half a century in all this kind of stuff. And it's been used operationally in the documents it describes using it operationally. Um, and they wouldn't just keep doing that and doing that and doing that if there was zero yield, right? So what is the purpose of all this stuff? It's 
there's several purposes as far as I can see. One is uh, inter just interrogation, trying to get information out of people. So you, you drug them or you do sensor deprivation. You're basically softening them up. Good cop, bad cop, all these different things. Uh, the other is to put fake information in their minds or wipe out memories so they don't remember what they've done. And then the other is to create these Manchurian candidates, which is artificially created multiple personality. So you can send the artificially created multiple personality that you have control over out on a mission and the out front part of the person doesn't remember what happened. And then, uh, so that sounds like science fiction, right? Yeah. But um, there's a guy named um, George Esterbrooks who isn't alive anymore, but he was actually born in Canada, but his career was really at Colgate College in upstate New York. And uh, he's the author of a series of books. And um, my research assistant went to Colgate College back in the 90s and got a whole bunch of documents and stuff, which I still have. So this is all based on documents. This is not some patient told me or I heard it on the internet. So he, um, there's, I have copies of correspondence between him and J. Edgar Hoover spanning decades. Um, I have his textbook that he published in the early 40s, a hypnosis textbook where he's describing uh, getting susceptible, whatever that means, military personnel working on them for months creating a newly formed identity, inserting uh, code words to activate them. Uh, and one example is this Marine. Uh, the code word was the moon is clear. So the Marine would come into Esterbrook's office. Esterbrook's would say the moon is clear. The artificially created personality comes out. He gives them some sort of you know, curve, covert information, tell, sends them off to uh, Japan, on the regular guy thinks this is just sort of another assignment to go to Japan. He meets the colonel at the far end. The colonel says the moon is clear, switches to the artificially created identity and gives him whatever the information is. Response is given back to the regular guy. Regular guy goes home. And so this is described in a widely published mainstream textbook in 1942 or three. And then an article. You know the in name a, of that book? Uh, Hypnotism. Okay. By G. H. Esterbrooks. All this is in my CIA doctor's book. Okay. Uh, yeah, I still have to get through that. Yeah. References and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of information in there. Okay. And so then, up until the early '70s, he published in a in a magazine, same account basically. And I have copies of correspondence between him and the War Department. So he has a had a contract with the War Department in the Second World War. Uh, correspondence between him and J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover sending like his number two guy to a conference organized by G.H. Esterbrooks. Esterbrooks doing uh, hypnosis conferences on military bases, inviting military psychiatrists over, and also uh, corresponding with and interacting with top secret cleared MK Ultra contractors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All this total documentary. So what sounds like crazy, you know, science fiction, it's just documented facts. This has been going on. And no doubt is still going on. What what is the function of the CIA reading room exactly? Is that uh, only stuff that it's available in that room, or is that can you take stuff out of there? How does that work? So this is ninety three, I think ninety two or ninety three. I'm down there at a conference. Um, I have the address, so I hop in the taxi, and it's just kind of a little funny side story. So I hop in the taxi, and the taxi driver starts talking to me. Where are you going? This address, and. Okay, and then he starts explaining how he was a police officer in Afghanistan and he was brought over to the United States and now he's got like a visa and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, hmm. And then he says, well, would you like to do a little detour through the grounds of the Pentagon since we're going to be going right by? Okay, sure. (laughs) Um, And then we're driving over to the CIA reading room and he's like, well, where are you going? He says, oh, no, I just have an appointment. So I'm kind of like, hmm, is this a random guy or what's going on here? <laughs> but he drops me off and it's a completely nondescript, you know, row of buildings with no sign or anything, just got the number. And I go, well, I'm glad that guy's gone, whoever <laughs> he was. And then I walk in and there, there's a sizable, but not gigantic room, a bunch of military people. And there's a sign that says secure phone, DIA and CIO. CIA only. I walk up to the desk and hi, I'm. I have the letter. I'm here to look at some documents. And the guy goes like, "This guy." Okay, go have a seat over there. So I have a seat in another little side room. After a while, the CIA woman comes down in civilian clothes. Oh hi, come on. We get in the elevator. It's like kind of crammed, and there's all these guys in uniforms, and I'm like. We go up to whatever floor it is, we get off. She walks down the corridor with me, and then there's like sort of a submarine door thing with a big seal on it and a keypad and everything. So she keypads in. We go into that room, and I have to sign a document, you know, that I'm there, etc. So the receptionist is like, check. We sign Dr. Ross into secure space. We're in secure space now. And then from there, we go through another door into secure space. And then from there, we go back into the reading room, which is just a little meeting room with a bunch of tables. And that's where I sit. And she goes up to wherever, comes back with the trolley with all the MK Ultra documents. <clears throat> and then she leaves. But there's a woman, like literally in her 80s, who sits with me the whole time while I'm going through all these documents and making notes and figure out which ones I want to order copies of. But the room we're sitting in has an open door leading back into the hallway that goes to the elevator to go downstairs to go outside. So it's completely not secure space. (laughs) And so at one point in the middle of the day, there's some guys doing some work on that floor, uh, just construction, remodeling type work. And the woman goes, well, I have to go to the restroom. So she 
sees these guys and she goes, Hey, would you guys mind watching him while I go to the restroom? They go, Oh, yeah, okay, sure. And so this is like, what kind of a comedy is this? And then near the end of the day, she goes, What are those documents you're looking at anyway? So, so there are a bunch of documents that are declassified in the 70s. She goes, Well, they're all declassified. Why did they need me here? And I go, I don't know. So, hello, welcome to the government, right? <laughs> crazy procedures, and somebody's checked the box on the form, so they're all good. And Dr. Ross was in secure space where he's reading these documents that were declassified 20 years ago. And then I order copies, and this is before you know the internet or anything, so you got to pay 10 cents a page. And I ended up ordering the whole 15,000 pages worth. And that's the foundation of this CIA doctor's book. Wow. So uh, during the course of all that, there's people saying, are you sure it's safe? Are you sure your airplane's not going to get blown up? What about when you turn the ignition in your car? And I'm like, I just decided like not to be paranoid. Yeah, I think you have to so, do that sometimes. Yeah. So then I just went through all these documents and then in those documents, I find out because there's lists of who some of the contractors are. Some of them are named and their top secret clearance status, which is all in tables at the back of the book. And, and then I would go to the library because you couldn't do an online search yet. And I'd go to, okay, this journal's 1950 through 1992 or something. And I'd pull down the 1972 journals and look through that. Oh, there's the paper by the guy who's named in the documents. And then I'd look at that paper, go to the photocopy machine, photocopy it. Then I'd look at the references and I'd say, ah, oh, there's a reference to that guy who I've already heard of. So then I would go get that paper and I did this whole, you know, collecting dozens and dozens and dozens of papers that acknowledged uh, funding by the military often, but never funding by the CIA. But I could establish by looking at the MKUltra documents that this paper on this topic was funded by MKUltra at top secret clearance level. So that's how I kind of put this whole pile of information together. And the then on the, on the satanic ritual abuse side, mm -hmm. I, the purpose of my satanic ritual abuse principles of treatment was there's all this, it's real, it's not real. You know, the people who believe in it think that the people who don't believe in it are a bunch of perpetrators. And the people who don't believe it think that the people who do believe it are a bunch of flaky therapists creating false memories and hysteria. That was what 99% of the discussion was about. In the meantime, okay, well, what are you going to do when somebody comes in and says they grew up in a satanic cult? There's no guidelines at all. And the people who believe and the people who don't believe are not providing you any useful suggestions. So then that was the purpose of that book, to come up with some, what are some principles of treatment? I want to go more and into the setting aside whether it's real or not real or you believe or you don't believe. Right. Uh, I want to go more into the the SRA, uh, but uh, before I do, what does it what does it take to actually wipe out somebody's memory? Um, I, from what I've read, it's very severe trauma, sort of like drugging people while they're in excruciating pain, so they can't lose consciousness stuff like that in your research like what what does it really take well uh, 
So then there's what I've heard from patients and there's what's in the actual literature. Mm-hmm. So Ewan Cameron, uh, who was the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at McGill University, uh, who was also at various times the president of the Quebec Psychiatric Association, the Canadian Psychiatric Association, the Society for Biological Psychiatry, and a co-founder of World Psychiatric Association. So like a big time connected guy. And he was also part of the group that went over and interrogated the uh, doctors at the Nuremberg trials, which was then connected into what were those doctors doing in the death camps and were they doing mind control, et cetera. So uh, one of his, there's several different papers he published, but in his published papers, he describes uh, psychic driving and basically reprogramming people. So uh, I was able to get the, I think about 80 people uh, were approved by the Canadian government to be reimbursed for the damage done to them by you and Cameron and McGill. So the Canadian government's acknowledged all of this. There's no doubt about it. It was an MKUltra project and his research was co-funded by the, by Canadian groups as well at the same time. So what there's de-patterning, de-patterning is, uh, so this one person who I interviewed where I have her medical records that have you and Cameron's signature in various spots in them. So that's all objective reality. And she's one of the people who's been compensated. Uh, she was from May, yeah, May to September. She came in sort of moderately depressed with a bunch of young kids and overwhelmed housewife. And her family doctor referred her into you uh, and Cameron at McGill. And she got 103 electric shock treatments in a period of three, four months. Mm. But in each of those treatments, uh, there's a thing called the Page-Russell technique where the button was pushed six times. So she got, normally it's just pushed one time and you get zzz to your brain. So each time was six times 103. So she got over the equivalent of over 600 regular ECT treatments in a period of months. Wow. Just called depatterning. And this was described, I mean, he was interviewed by mainstream Canadian newspapers. And this is like this wonderful new psychiatric discovery where you you basically render the person a vegetable. So at the by September, by the end of this, or by August, she didn't know her name, didn't know who she was, didn't know what year it was, couldn't recognize her husband, and couldn't even grasp the concept of a husband. And then she was sent home, basically in that condition, with instructions to her husband to not try and jog her memory about anything. And then she had to uh, put a board up on the wall with a little map of the neighborhood and put pins for where her kids were because she couldn't remember as soon as they had been gone for a couple of minutes. She had to learn how to boil an egg she had to learn, relearn how to play the guitar. She'd been a singer, performer in bars and clubs. And then when I interviewed her uh, decades later, charming, together, cognitively competent individual, with all her memory from the time she went into the uh, that institute in McGill University 
back to earth, completely gone. Never recovered any of it. Wow. So that's how you erase somebody's memories. So why was the CIA interested in this wonderful new discovery for psychiatry? Obviously, they weren't trying to help patients. <laughs> so he, 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 you and Cameron showed them, here's how you wipe out somebody's memories. And uh, then there's the psychodriving part of it, which is when they're, and they would be sometimes on barbiturates and other meds for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks at a time, <laughs> only getting up to go to the bathroom and have a little deep. And then they would play tapes, basically tape loops over and over and over. Yeah, over. right. Trying to say you are a good person or your mother is a bad person or whatever the message was. So they, uh, the claim was they were creating a new personality free of mental illness and wiping out the old mentally ill personality. And this was published in mainstream psychiatry journals. So the sort of plausible deniability there is like, oh, we're trying to help people get over their mental illness. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, they love which is what the CIA does, right? It's a mental right. health treatment center. Yeah, yeah, they love to relabel things and sort of work under this plausible deniability uh, claim all the time. Right. Which, from their perspective, is a smart way to operate, right? Yeah, makes sense why they would do that. Um, I remember I even watched uh, watched something the other day about uh, the CIA the CIA heart attack gun that they had a commission on it uh, back in the seventies, I believe. Uh, they even talk about how how they use plausible deniability, and they kind of admitted to the fact that they that it's uh, that it's kind of their one of their go tos. You've heard of the doctrine of plausible deniability, yes, and I've rejected it uh, now, Senator. I say that uh, we cannot depend upon that anymore. The question I was going to put to you is that a phrase of art in the intelligence community? Does it have a, a separate significance that you understand? It uh, was a rationale used uh, in earlier years. What does it if mean? If the United States could deny something and not be uh, clearly demonstrated as, a, as having uh, said something falsely, then the United States could do so. So what was the, the difference between like MKUltra and then there was MK Search? Didn't Search have something to do with, um, was it, with like electromagnetic radiation or am I thinking of something else? Um. Well, MK Search only had, I can't remember the exact number, I think it's seven subprojects. So it was much smaller and shorter in time. MKUltra had 149 subprojects. And there's basically a kind of about one third, one third, one third. One third was top secret clearance, obviously mind control stuff, like how, how to use hypnosis, uh, using drugs for interrogation and so on. About a third of them were just sort of like chemical supply contracts because they needed this secure source of this drug, that drug, that drug, that drug. <laughs> and then a third of them were a sort of regular academic research grants, not at top secret. So the whoever the professor was, was unwitting, which means he doesn't know it's CIA money because it's funneled through a front organization. And there are several of those the Human Ecology Foundation, the Josiah Macy Jr. Foundation. And, um, and then it says in some of the CIA documents, <clears throat> the purpose of the contract is to form a relationship with somebody who might be of use to the agency in the future. So one of these guys was Martin Orn, who is 
top handful of hypnosis experts in the 20th century. So he was initially given a contract, funneled through the the cutout, they're called cutouts, the front organization. And then later on, he was cleared at top secret and got money cleared at top secret, knowing it was CIA money. So there's sort of multiple subdivisions and sub-purposes of all this. But basically, it was how to do enhanced interrogations. The electromagnetic radiation part, um, there's a guy called Maitland Baldwin, who was uh, a neurosurgeon, and he was doing uh, sort of brain surgery experiments on humans. Um, there's a couple other guys, uh, a Dr. Heath at Tulane, uh, a Dr. Jose Delgado at Yale. So there's a network of these guys, <clears throat> some funded by uh, U.S. Office of Naval Research, some funded by the Air Force, some by the Army, some by the CIA. Um, so there's multiple overlapping funding sources. But they were doing uh, brain electrode implant experiments. And there's a book by this Jose Delgado guy called Toward a Psycho-Civilized Society. And he says, let's not read between the lines, he says very clearly, his goal for the human race is to pop a brain electrode in everybody, except the top group of elite generals and politicians and himself. Hmm. And so he could control the whole population. And then uh, it, on YouTube, there's a video of him. There's an electrode implanted in the brain of a bull, and the bull's kind of charging around. And then he pushes the brain, the uh, button on the transmitter that sends mm -hmm. a signal to the electrode, and the, the bull just like stops or changes direction. Instead of video. Yeah, Del you said Delgado, right? Delgado. Yeah, Jose. now I remember. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And then in his published papers, there's pictures of, uh, there's a monkey who uh, is like the alpha monkey. is always kicking everybody else around and terrorizing the other monkeys in the big cage. And then they put an electrode in his brain and there's a lever in the cage. And if the other monkeys push the lever, it zaps his brain and he kind of becomes immobile. So then you see, so of course, they figured this out. And then you see a picture of all these other monkeys are like all over the place. And he's huddled in the corner all scared. But they also did that in humans. So there's a picture in, in his published papers of a 16-year-old girl. And she's either a blank stare. She's sort of furious and angry. Or she could be strumming on her guitar. She's in very different behavioral states depending on which electrode is being activated in the network of electrodes in our brain. Hmm. Uh, so they, they did that experimentation on human beings, published it in mainstream journals. That's obviously the tip of the iceberg, right? How yeah. developed has that become? How satellite-driven is it now? You know, How tiny are the implanted chips? Again, this is not just paranoid conspiracy theory. This is... The public medical literature yeah and the scary thing is now i don't think they need big electrodes they have what uh i've, I've looked through a lot of medical literature on nanobots which are right. like on the nano scale that they right. can inject into you and they can you know go to your brain do various functions and hold an electric charge uh, right. there's always there's a, a documentary movie called star wars have you ever heard of <laughs> yeah 
there's the dark side and the light side, right? Right. All these things have dark side and light side applications. So like Neuralink, the you know, Elon Musk. Yeah. So that that's going to lead to paralyzed guys being able to walk, and being able to control joysticks with your mind, all this kind of stuff, which is fantastic. But then it's the dark side, right? Exactly. And that's why I see that as an excuse. A lot of people on, who are, you know, anti-conspiracy theory or whatever, um, they're saying, well, they're going to help blind people see and, you know, people walk. And it's like, OK, but they, they really just don't. I don't know how they just obliterate this other dark side of of things. Um, that's something I wanted to ask you about, too, is like these people who are so over to that side that they're they've lost all ability to like think critically um i mean i've even read studies i think in the past that said like people who are like conspiracy minded have a higher intelligence and they're more like critical there's better critical thinkers um but yet these people i mean they think they think of themselves pretty highly usually uh right. but they're they're so unwilling to see i mean you can show things to them right in their face you can show the medical literature or they if they will even look at it and right. they'll just deny 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 like what's what's the deal with that i mean that should be if it's not that should be like a, a medical <laughs> something studied so this permeates our entire society now right yeah this is the the failure of modern education systems that the ability of the people in general to think critically to weigh things and not just go all black or all white. I mean, yeah. that's just disintegrating. So all this quotes conversation that goes on in public, it's just polarized insults flying back and forth. Yeah. So like if you hate Donald Trump, you're not allowed to say he did one good thing in four years. Mm -hmm. And if you hate Joe Biden, you're not allowed to say one good thing about Joe Biden. It's so polarized. Um, and then there's all this woke culture stuff and all these things that are going on. But the ability of like Ivy League students to think critically about things is not too good these days. <laughs> Ivy Leaguers are the most scary to me, actually. These these people right. who are like involved in academia, you know, they uh which really to me just means that they've, you know, been indoctrinated by like government funded institutions uh and led to you know, follow a certain recipe right. for for what they're told is true, what is correct, without ever really uh, validating a lot of that information. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So right. then they go on to 
to just believe that this one thing is true and everybody outside of that opinion is stupid, nut job, you know, what have you. So just on the <clears throat> transgender issue, which is a big, hot issue right now, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so I, uh, I know trans people in my personal life who I get along with great. Mm-hmm. Many trans people come in treatment, uh, male to female, female to male, kind of gender neutral, gender fluid, all these different combinations work very productively with, you know, all variations on the theme. So there's nothing about me being like transphobic in any way. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. <clears throat> We're not a little concerned about puberty blockers for nine-year-old girls. And you know, so I was just reading, and what are the long-term medical effects? Well, we don't know. So you're not even allowed to go, oh, wait a minute, maybe there could be a downside to this, or maybe some people are getting gender blocked, let alone surgically reassigned, and then they become detransitioners, and what's the damage we've caused there? And you know, what's the percentage of people who are getting a big benefit, people are getting big harm? We're not allowed to kind of look at the facts. <clears throat> Yeah. We just have angry positions. And if you raise the slightest concern, you're just this white supremacist fascist person. <laughs> and one of the arguments I was just reading online the other day is we have to uh, start doing this to nine, 10 year old girls because they're hitting puberty earlier these days. Mm-hmm. And if we don't block their uh, hitting puberty, then we're denying them the opportunity to explore their trans identity. Okay, well, whether you agree or disagree with that, there's like some logic to that, right? But we're simultaneously denying them the opportunity to explore their cis gender identity, right? Because they don't ever get to develop into cisgendered biological females and figure out if they like that or not like that. We just block it. Right. That but whole age is exploration, like that whole, you know, scrolling but if up. You, if you bring up that concern, then you just get slammed for being anti-LGBTQ. Yeah. You're not even allowed to have a, like a concern. In no other area of medicine is that the case. If you go, okay, well, that's, that's a surgery or that's chemotherapy. Okay, what's the survival rate for people who don't get that chemotherapy? What's the survival rate with the chemotherapy? What are the side effects? You don't have to go, chemotherapy cures everybody and there's no side effects. <laughs> and if you say, well, this person died or this person you know, had horrible last three months of their life and the chemo costs $50,000, you're not accused of being anti-medical. <laughs> you're just trying to weigh the pluses and the minuses. But then so much of this public discourse, you don't do that. You just adopt these polarized, absolute extreme positions. Yeah, there, it's a it's a shame, you know, this kind of like everything has taken a socio-political stance and that's wiped out uh, the, the sort of medical research aspect or the, the medical facts on certain things, transgenderism being a big, a big one. Um, and for me, that's such a no-brainer, like a, a nine-year-old, you know what I mean? I didn't know what the hell I wanted when I was nine years old. I, I wanted to be a fireman for like five minutes, and then I changed my mind. You know you know what I mean? And to, you went to... off track, and your life was a total loss, right? So, yeah. But I've worked with lots of trans people. So it's, it's all about 
one size doesn't fit all. So I've heard from, and this is talking with young adults who are remembering back to age five, six, seven, eight, but I've talked to all variations on theme. So I've talked to quite a few people, male, female, female, male. They were absolutely certain at age six that they were actually a boy stuck in a girl's body or vice versa. And they've been certain about that all the way through. And they either have done some hormonal transition, sometimes surgical, and they're totally happy with that. And there's no internal conflict about it. Uh, And they may or may not have been good or horrible reaction from their family. And I've talked to people who just say, yeah, I just didn't quite feel right, but I didn't know and I didn't have words for it. And then I kind of figured out when I was a teenager, but then I kind of changed my mind. Yeah. All variations on being certain from early on to being unclear, uncertain. And then some people just end up in the gender neutral uh, and there's different terms for that. Or they're sometimes more male, sometimes more female. They sometimes dress more male, more female. So there's not just like one profile. But there are people who are very clear, no doubt in their minds from very early ages. And there are people who are just confused. Yeah. But there there seems to be quite an uptick in that sort of thing happening, right? In in recent however many years. Uh, How do you account for that? Well, number one, I don't. But (laughs) this is just back to satanic ritual abuse. It's the same puzzle with satanic ritual abuse. Like, I never heard of full-on, you know, cult human sacrifice story from anybody until I moved to Texas. Uh, so it was nothing. Uh, and then tons and tons and tons and tons of these stories are being told. And now it's kind of, then the false memory people jumped on that and there's all kinds of lawsuits that got shut down. Yeah. And the, the field, the therapist actually had to learn some lessons about not believing everything and not reinforcing everything. But it's sort of dwindled down. So the number of people that I see in the last few years who talk about satanic cults is way, way, way down. It's a much smaller percentage. But it hasn't gone to zero. So what was that there? Was that a hysteria wave? Was it hysteria on top of reality? Was it some long suppressed stuff that came out of the woodwork that's just been denied forever? So when I go to the CIA military mind control, I look into it, oh, it's real. Satanic ritual abuse, it's still, I don't know if it's real or not real or what percentage of the time or how much of it. I doubt that zero of it's real. And then I'm back to my therapy methodology, which is neutrality. You don't actively believe, you don't actively disbelieve. So that whole believe, not believe controversy is sort of irrelevant to how you do therapy. But then we come to the, both the trans, it's same. how come there's more gay people around, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think there's always been like baseline percentage of gay people, that's kind of obvious. Um, but all this trans stuff, especially when we're talking early adolescents and teenagers, you know, how much of it is a social fad? How much of it is it easily influenced people who are going to being pushed over a little, but they are already were there. And how much of it is now it's safe to come out safer to come out of the closet. I don't know what the percentage of that mix is. 
but it's a mix of all of the above. I think, uh, is it Annie Jacobson or Jacobs? I can't remember her name, but she wrote a book on that and she talks a lot about social contagion. Right. Um, and I guess she, she does believe that there's a social aspect, like it's, it has become sort of a fad or it's being pushed somehow in society that it's, it's catching on at a much higher rate. Uh, and I mean, you can, you can sort of see that in mainstream media. I mean, there seems to be an agenda to really like push people into that way of life. And I, you know, I don't knock anybody like doing whatever makes them happy, um, if they're an adult, uh, but, uh. Yeah, there does seem to be sort of like pervasive uh, push in that direction. Agreed. So then if you have concerns about that, then you're anti-LGBTQ. Right. It's just like the, these books in school libraries. right? So I actually got a couple of these books from Amazon, and there's one of them. I think it's the one that's called Gender Queer. Is that the title? And there's like all this fuss and all these right-wing horrible people, you know, fundamental Christian people are going to school meetings and raising a fuss about it. And the response being they're just a bunch of right-wing Christian horrible people. Right. And we should have free access in our school libraries. So then I go, this is the, this is the elementary school library these books should be in. And I read the whole book. If you just took some of the pictures out in a couple of paragraphs out here and there, it'd just be a nice novel about somebody exploring their gender identity and going through their teen years and so on. There wouldn't be anything wrong with it. But then there's the drawings in there. So there's a drawing of uh, a woman giving her female partner's dildo a blowjob, like explicit clear. There's a sort of a Greco-Roman photograph where the adult guy is fondling the genitals of the pupil boy. I mean, it's outright pornography, and it's mm. child pornography. And if you don't want that in the first grade library at school, you're some sort of horrible human being. So they push it to such an extreme. I see this going on all the time, too. So one side pushes their position to such an extreme <clears throat> that it totally justifies the extreme response by the opposite side. Yeah. But the extremists are just justifying each other. They're all part of a system and a not a fun game, but a game. <clears throat> it's a Galian dialectic. The government loves to use that. <clears throat> and then you get people who just want to all gay people should be executed sort of approach. Right. Yeah. We, so what the heck? I don't think I'm a horrible human being because I don't want explicit photographs of child pornography in books and schools. No, that seems to me like pretty clear grooming in text form. Uh, <laughs> and, and and then, you know, you have these like really weird uh, story hours with, uh, with drag queens, which is great if you're an adult. But, uh, you know, as a, as a child, I think you're you're presented in that situation with a lot of questions that you won't be able to answer. Uh, I mean, and those are really formative years and I don't, I don't care if you're gay, straight, trans, whatever. I don't think you should be talking to little kids about sex period in their formative right. years. I agree. Like, should you be, you know, using dildos to dem demonstrate blowjob techniques to seventh graders? Yeah. But it's like, if you object to anything, you're a horrible human being. There's like, 
where are the limits now? Or where's yeah. the basic common sense? Or and all the gay people I've known, and I, I grew up in the in the Hollywood system as an actor. I was an actor for like twenty years. I met a lot of great gay people. I don't feel like any of the gay people that I knew or know would be okay with that either. And there's right. a lot. There's actually a lot of them who aren't. Um, but uh, they they only present like the really extreme, the really extreme versions of the of the two ideologies on things. Then the counter reaction is it's illegal to. Uh, cross dress and dance at a bar. Right, right. Heck, people can't do what they want with, who aren't doing anything criminal. So I was going to say not doing anything criminal because hmm. they're not harming anybody. Nobody's being dragged in chains to go to that club. But now it's actually going to become a crime, which is the reaction to the you know, hmm. uh, cross dress people come in and lecture to second graders about sex that's bizarre so, but both, both ends are equally to me yeah out there yeah mm. i don't that's i don't belong to either of them myself um but yeah that's a whole uh that's a whole crazy other thing that's going so we're, on we're off the topic of yeah no i mean it's great that you brought that up <laughs> no, it's great that you brought that up. I mean, I was I was curious, uh, you know, about that. It's definitely of concern. Uh, but yeah, back to back to satanic ritual abuse. Um, how how pervasive was that when you started? How how pervasive is it now? Is it you know, is it very common? Because I mean, to me, it's like people say uh, it was always like a satanic panic or something. They love to use that excuse. Yeah. Um, but in like by nature of like Satanism, it would be something that is especially in like that form in like cult form or like the people who are doing really sadistic rituals. It wouldn't be something that was like super known. I mean, the whole thing is very secretive. And I'm a person who has studied um, uh, human sacrifice, satanic ritual throughout ancient civilizations. I've studied the Sabbatean Frankists and, you know, the, the Canaanites, the Phoenicians. Right. Um, and that's, it's, it's been a thing throughout history, you know, ancient Minoans or the Maya, the Aztecs. Um, there was always this thing of like ritual sacrifice. People believe that it brought them power. Um, and this, you know, I believe that this is a, a small faction of people who believe that they derive power from, from this. So I'm going to I'm going to say something on purpose in a way that makes it sound totally crazy. Uh -huh. So my dad was part of a group that fought against a group of organized Satanists who were conducting human sacrifice. Interesting. So everybody's going, what? Come on. Now, now I know this guy's a nut. <laughs> Would you like to know the name of the group that he was a member of? Absolutely. The Canadian Army. Would you like to know the name of the organized systematic human sacrifice cult he was fighting? Yeah. Nazi Germany. So, yep. I mean, they sacrificed 6 million people, not counting all the military deaths. It was organized. It was ideologically driven by a belief system, all this Nazi white supremacy, Aryan race stuff. Yeah. And those are like, regular middle-class European white people. 
So we know that human beings do this kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of... It's unbelievable that some sort of pornographer, pedophile guys would get together and have a weirdo satanic costumes and kill kids. I mean, it's not the least bit out of the ordinary for human history. No, not at all. Um, There are extremists in in everything, and especially religion, right? Right. So Mm. then the question becomes... Okay, but how much is actually going on? Yeah. Which I don't know the answer. But you've had patients, right? Oh, lots and lots of patients describe it. And, you know, so I get emails too from people about the military mind patrol stuff, and they're targeted individuals is the term now. There's a whole online community about this. And electromagnetic weapons are getting beamed at them and controlling their minds, causing them all kinds of different symptoms. It's part of either sometimes corporate, but usually them, which is sort of the military and the CIA plot to control them and use them and so on. And some of these people, like they obviously are seriously mentally ill, like their thought processes are all jumbled up. You can't follow what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. They say stuff like, uh, you know, I was controlled by Woodrow Wilson or something. And then only like 26 years that old. Bastard. Totally impossible stuff. Yeah. And, but then other people are perfectly sensible. You know, their stories are rational, logical. They have an explanation for who, you know, their boyfriend was in military intelligence or this or this or this or this. And then you look at, okay, these weapons, <clears throat> they actually exist. You could just get online. Um, and you can see pictures of like Sandia Labs and the manufacturers, and there's the guys testing them, and, and all these laser weapons. Now they exist. The military uses them, so the the technology exists. We think that the some people might be using this technology to punish or control or intimidate people for some nefarious purpose. Doesn't seem unbelievable to me. But then yeah. how? Much of it's actually going on. I have not the faintest idea. It's hard to say, you know, with secret projects, right? Like there, and there was even that. I think back in the day there was uh, Project Pandora, which I don't know if they admit to being real or not. But uh, there's there's definitely stuff declassified on. yet. It's not declassified. I don't think. I'm not totally sure though. I think that they were they were like beaming um, radiation at at people, and there's all kinds of stuff you can read about that. And they, I mean, they were using. Later on, uh, if not then, millimeter waves were used for crowd dispersal by the military and uh, right. all kinds of all kinds of things. And millimeter waves are uh, have been put everywhere, but uh, via five G towers now. So right, right. that's really well, interesting. To me, that's just it's no different from using huge fire hoses to disperse crowds, or using tear gas, or using rubber bullets. It's just another technology that's getting used. Yeah. If the technology exists, why would it never get used or never get tested out? Yeah. In terms of, uh, it's like the facts are stranger than the fiction. So I think it was 1998 or so, uh, there's a Clinton report on biological chemical weapons experimentation that has a small section on mind control experiments. But basically, they descri- in this report, they describe things like um, uh, this guy, William Sweet is the name of the neurosurgeon at Harvard. He's testifying to the 
the committee that's looking into this. Uh, no, we well, we did do um, plutonium experiments, but everybody gave informed consent. And we injected plutonium into people just to see how the body handles it. So they're not denying that they did that. But he goes, everybody gave informed consent. And then you see in a paragraph later, one of the people who came in and was injected with plutonium was identified as HP7, which stands for Human Product 7. That's how they identified these guys. Mm. Well, HP7 was brought into one of the Harvard System Hospital ERs, unconscious, not identified, injected with plutonium, and died without waking up. That was a guy who gave informed consent. This is in, this is in the documents. Thousands of government-sponsored experiments did take place at hospitals, universities, and military bases around our nation. The goal was to understand the effects of radiation exposure on the human body. While most of the tests were ethical by any standards, some were unethical, not only by today's standards, but by the standards of the time in which they were conducted. They failed both the test of our national values and the test of humanity. In one experience, scientist experiment, scientists injected plutonium into 18 patients without their knowledge. In another, doctors exposed indigent cancer patients to excessive doses of radiation, a treatment from which it is virtually impossible that they could ever benefit. The report also demonstrates that these and other experiments were carried out on precisely those citizens who count most on the government for its help, the destitute and the gravely ill. But the dispossessed were not alone. Members of the military, precisely those on whom we and our government count most, they were also test subjects. Informed consent means your doctor tells you the risk of the treatment you are about to undergo. In too many cases, informed consent was withheld. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, people have been compensated for several millions of dollars for being injected with plutonium when they didn't know what was happening. So the I've got copies of papers where uh, in Connecticut, I think it might have been called the Fernal School. I can't remember the name of the school. Kids are fed radioactive material. This is, quotes, mentally retarded kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, fed radioactive material in their cereal, again, just to see how the body metabolizes it. And the parents were told that it was a nutritional experiment. And then that's published in a mainstream medical journal <clears throat> funded by the U.S. Army. 
as stated in the paper, like it's not a conspiracy theory. And then there's correspondence in the journal where the author of the paper who did the study is saying that it was ethical. And then other doctors are writing and saying, well, that's not ethical. This is all in the mainstream medical literature. It's just no different from the Tuskegee syphilis study. Oh, yeah. The Tuskegee syphilis study was uh, was not children of U.S. senators and congressmen. It was not children of you know wealthy white business people in New York City. It was 400 rural, largely illiterate, labor black guys in the southern United States. And what happened was this started in 1930 something or other. And uh, they were, these are all guys who were known to have syphilis. The head nurse in the study was given a, a lifetime award by the US Public Health Service for her service to humanity. And these guys were told that they had bad blood and all any doctors involved with them were told not to treat them because they're under study. At the 25 year point of the study, they were all given a certificate signed by the US Surgeon General and paid $25, $1 for each year of participation in the study. And then in 1965, a paper on the study was published, mainstream journal, describing what happened. And the, uh, the scientific findings were that if you have syphilis for decades and you don't get treatment, you get sicker and you die earlier than control people. This was the finding from the study. So this was published and it was called um, Untreated Syphilis in the Male Negro, a 25-year follow-up was the mm -hmm. title of the paper. Yeah. So it's uh, the U.S. Public Health Service, the uh, Heart Association, the Surgeon General, all these entities were aware of the study and were funding it and tracking it and it was getting published in the mainstream literature and nobody said boo for decades until in 1972, a journalist in San Francisco got onto it, blew the lid off it. And then everybody's like, Oh, no, we're stopping that. <laughs> it, it's so, so this crazy. stuff is like hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's funny how it gets lost in, in history and in plain view so much. Um, and another example was more crazy conspiracy theory. The U.S. military would never release bacteria or pathogens into the New York subway system, right? They wouldn't do that. U.S. citizens. So um, this is all documented. And it's not denied anymore. And so I go through this in one of the chapters in that book. In San Francisco, there's a rare bacteria called Serratia maricens. Nobody ever sees one of those infections. You hear about it in medical school and then you forget about it. Mm -hmm. So a cluster of these, um, this is in the, I forget the exact time frame, but like early 50s sometime, uh, possibly early 60s. There's a cluster of these infections showing up in hospitals in San Francisco. And there's a paper about it. Lo and behold, it was a CIA military experiment to study germ warfare. How what would happen if the enemy released some sort of germs into the the public?
outlook space. Hmm. I, I've so covered. This is, this is, I mean, this is all documented, admitted to, not debated fact that that happened. Yeah, I'd want to know what they put in with the supposed germs. Uh, I've covered germ theory and viruses a lot on this show, actually, and there's there's some crazy conspiracy theorists you wouldn't uh, theories you wouldn't believe uh, with that stuff too, <laughs> but but I won't go into that because uh, that's a long conversation. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Uh, so yeah, I mean, this seems like a you know sort of their mo throughout throughout the you know the ages. Uh, it doesn't doesn't stop, but people still uh, deny it. Um, as far as uh, SRA, uh, I wanted to know if you had ever heard of the the Hampstead children. Uh, I think I've heard of them. Yeah, there was a there was a case in the in the UK of two children. Uh, Hampstead in London. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they they came out and uh, and said that their father was the leader of a satanic pedophile ring, uh, and they gave very detailed <clears throat> explanations of of what went on, and amazingly, they were they 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 came to the conclusion that the kids were lying. It was fabricated by the mother, or I don't know what their excuse was. Uh, but I wondered if I could play a clip of. Uh, some of that interrogation for you and get your uh so that's sort of like the big martin case in california which was a school it was all blown off as bad interrogation methods and so on and there mm -hmm. was bad interrogation methods no question yeah then the whole thing was just dismissed out of hand yeah it was kind of crazy though listening to the to the children uh if you don't mind i'm gonna play like a quick clip if i can share my screen here um Yes. So you have to hang the, the string on, yeah. but you make sure it's still it's it's, it's like secure. Yeah. So they put it because they got because Mr. Morris he works he works hard he works with hammers he works that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So he he gets this this, this screw in the wall, and after he hangs it up, the, he hangs the baby up. Right. Okay. And Papa and me. Yeah. They hold, either me or Gabriel hold on to the yeah. life, but he actually kills the baby because he puts his hand on our hand. Okay. So then he says to swing and then just chop off the baby's head off, but like stop straight away, like maybe for maybe so, like once, so go like this one and then yeah. just leave a bit of space so it's still on the head, but it's, it's, it's just the blood is dripping in the bowl though. That's how we drain out the blood. Okay, so you do that, blood stripping. Does blood not go like everywhere? Or not? No, 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 no. We don't make that. That we go like this. Like we don't just go like smash like yeah. that. We go like this. One like 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 not so speedy. Yeah. Just like medium speed. So you just go like, like that fast, okay. like that, and we make sure it's not like blood spilled everywhere because they, we make sure that. Everything, everything is clean as much as clean as they can do it because they clean after that too okay so, so if this blood up. is on the floor or something mm. like that they wipe it off okay yes this leads me directly to jeffrey epstein yeah so i mean what nobody disputes that jeffrey epstein was an organized sex trafficking pedophile right there's nobody right. who says that's not true right 
there's nobody who says he wasn't connected to dozens and dozens and dozens of high-ranking business and political people. That's a fact. There's nobody who says he didn't fly a lot of people on his private jet, including to little St. James Island. And those are all undisputed facts. Um, he, he was convicted of uh, sex trafficking, sex with a minor, got kind of a slap on the wrist. These are all facts, right? Yeah. Okay, so his girlfriend's in jail. Who else is in jail? Nobody that I know of. Nobody. So <laughs> to talk about put the lid on it and lock it down. Yeah. So there's there's a whole network of powerful, influential, rich people who just been like hands off, not touched at all. This is this is a known fact. So how many Jeffrey Epstein's have there been in the world? How many are there operating currently? Not zero. And so it's not a conspiracy theory, and it's like the FBI, etc. They all say that sex trafficking is a you know, billion-dollar industry. Child pornography is a billion-dollar industry. So obviously, there's some powerful people making a lot of money off of this. These are these are just facts, right? This is not debatable. And so when you look at pictures of Little St. James Island, you see that there's this odd building, which has got white and blue stripes on it, and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's not a random design. No. There's also buildings with the same design and the same color scheme elsewhere in the world. And there used to be sitting on top these two gold statues, which supposedly got blown over in some big storm. Well, that's just, and then so what do you hear in the, the typical thing? Oh, well, that was just uh, a room they used for piano lessons. Okay. But then when you see the photographs, well, how come there's all these cots and beds in a room for piano lessons? And then the FBI comes and collects all the evidence and it's gone. Never to be seen in public, which is the same as all the evidence. So we know there's like hours and hours and hours and hours of video collected in his home in Manhattan with all kinds of people having sex with all kinds of girls. Where'd that all go? Yeah, nowhere to be seen. The client list, no one knows. Right. Uh So the... Are there powerful people covering up all kinds of stuff? There's proof right there. Yeah. And it seems to be very often rich, the rich elites of society, even in ancient civilizations, it was always the noble class, right? right. Like the political figures of every class who were doing the human sacrifices. Right. Uh, so that's carried over. You, can, I mean, and you can find this stuff, you know, like I have clips from old 2020 shows uh where they interview a girl who was involved in um you know she was she was a victim of of sra um you know that they were killing babies they killed uh, homeless people uh i mean the things that she went through were depraved and there's no there's no way that that girl is lying with that level of detail and why you know and she talks about oh it was a big mansion it was like a rich a rich person's home you know, right. that really stuck out to me. Sacrifices to please the devil. According to Teresa, the worst rituals took place at a house somewhere in the country. It was big, you know, expensive. From the front, it looked like a castle. You know, it had a long drive and big double wooden doors. Do you think they were 
Rich people then? Very rich. There was a tramp who was brought in once, you know, and he was killed. He was cut from his throat down to his stomach. And that they, they ate him, well, bits of him. I've seen um, loads of babies killed there, just newborn babies or aborted ones, which were only small. So it's not like, it's not crazy for me to, to think that like, oh, why are they, why are they quashing this? You know, as far as the Maxwell case, well, it's because the, the elites run <laughs> the, the the whole show. You know, they're probably involved. So, right. yeah, that's not uh, it's not mind boggling to me. But that should be a red flag for everybody. Nobody seems to think about it or wonder have any questions, you know. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And on and on it goes. Yeah. And uh, I'll I'll see if I can get you a, a clip of that, uh, the Hampstead children, too. It's like it's like a 22 or a two hour uh, interrogation just with the with the little girl. And there's one with oh, the, right. the little boy, too. So yeah. the, in the psychology, there's the false memory people. Right. And they just relentlessly say it's all false memory. It's in suggestion. It's yeah. implanted either by the culture or by a therapist. And that's end of discussion. It's all false memories. No way. There's no way. But that level of detail. But how do you know the fact that it's false memories? Unless it's impossible. Or unless, like, and sometimes they, you get a transcript of the interview by the social worker, and it's, like, massive leading questions, and obviously, you know, not good interviewing technique. But that explains away 100% of everything. Yeah. No, so, it doesn't make sense. And that for small children like that, to the level the level of detail, I mean, in that clip, she was talking about, you know, how he hung up the screw, how, exactly how they used the machete or whatever to to like slit a baby's throat. I mean, it's it's gruesome, but the level of detail for a person that age is like you're gonna tell me that somebody fed her like that was the story. Like, oh, somebody fed her that story to get the father in trouble, and then you can watch an interview with the with the father, who. And I'm an actor of 20 years. Mm. The guy, oh my God. Just, I mean, it's brutal to watch because you just want to rip, like rip him out of the screen. <laughs> he's so, he's he's hamming it up to the point where it's it's yeah. insane. What did the police say to you that you'd been accused of? They've said, I'm okay with what they said. It was, um, it was, um, it's more that it had come from my children. Ah. They'd said, um, 
I, uh, I'm the leader of a satanic, uh, satanic sex cult uh, pedophile ring. It's like the guy thinks he's De Niro, but he's really, really not. You know, he's wiping tears that aren't there, like wiping his nose. And there's nothing coming out of his nose. And people believe him. <laughs> you know, in my professional opinion, the guy is acting as dog shit. So, so yeah, it's just crazy. Like the level that people will go to, to deny these, these things. It's, it's insane. Um, not particularly fun to think about. No, it's not. It's not, but, uh, it's certainly going on and important for more people to address. Um, before I, I move on from sort of this topic, uh, I wanted to ask you about Sirhan Sirhan and David Chapman. Yeah, there are chapters on both of them in my book. Yeah. CIA doctors. That that was uh, stuck out to me because I always found Sirhan Sirhan kind of sketchy. Very well, sketchy. Well, he's definitely sketchy. No question about that. Um, and who knows what really, 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 really happened. But uh, he hasn't been let out of prison. We know that much. And so I've read several books about this. So there's one of the books, RF, RFK, the something or other is the title of the book. Um, and there's photographs in there. So there's a photograph of the, uh, the district corner looking at the entry holes in the door jam and the surrounding walls. So when you count up, and this is in his report, this is, so this is the corner. You count up the number of entry holes in Kennedy, bystander, walls, and door jams. It's more than the number of chambers in Sirhan Sirhan's gun. But that's just a fact. Wow. And then when you look at the video, you can see Sirhan Sirhan's like several feet ahead of Kennedy, right? Yeah. But according to the coroner's report, the fatal wound was from close behind, close in, immediately behind his ear. Which is, it's not physically possible that that bullet came out of Sirhan Sirhan's gun. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. A new magic so bullet. He claims he has amnesia for the shooting. No, yeah, could be a psychopath, liar, killer guy. But why would he keep saying that? like decades later when he's not getting let out of jail anyway. And then when you go back to his childhood and read, like he was over there in the, uh, Palestine, I guess they were where they were, I think, his family. Think so, yeah. Uh, you know, he saw all kinds of like dismembered body parts and all kinds of horror going on. He would have freeze reactions where he would freeze up according to his mother. So he clearly had trauma, PTSD. He went to, I think it was Rosicrucian, uh, sort of like self-hypnosis training of some kind. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, these are all the facts. Uh -huh. He seems like he might have had a handler, but also not known for sure. The woman in the polka dot dress is a mystery in there. He says that the woman in the polka dot dress was on the scene at the hotel when he looked in a mirror and then there's a bunch of lights and then he blanked out. 
-hmm. And the woman in the polka dot dress, uh, maybe was a handler. Who was she? Just a random person. Who knows? So I think there's more to that story than we know. I just remember the first interview I ever saw with him. He just seemed very loopy and like, he, yeah, he didn't know what had happened or like couldn't really give any clear answers. And that, that to me always stuck out. Um, so yeah, that's, that seems like to me a very possible case of something else going on, you know, con controlled individual. Mark David Chapman is also shot John Lennon. Yeah. Uh, that's a, kind of fishy story too because he went around a big international trip on his own how did he fund that he was unemployed for many months he was in a psych ward in hawaii for a while um, and he described having all these different people inside and one of them took over and did the shooting but then that all just got disappears <laughs> wow so these are these are just puzzles. So I put them in there as you know examples of people who might have been mind controlled venturing candidates, but we don't know that they were. We can't, yeah. but they're on the suspicion list, so to speak. It's certainly very strange whenever, like you know, a, a very beloved like musician like John Lennon gets gunned down. You know what I mean? Um, and and you know he happened to be very anti-war and pro-peace right, right. and. Yeah, he was, I think, affecting a lot of people. Uh, well, the, the quotes authorities were trying to get him deported, right? That's a known fact. Oh, were they? Okay, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the Beatles were enormous, so he definitely had a lot of followers, and what, what he said mattered. So I could see them having a um, an interest in, in getting him out of the way. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you, since you know you, you've studied all of this stuff have you seen any you know including the the nazis and and uh you know the various psychological profiles of of the people of that time have you seen any parallels within the last few years uh as far as you know the um the abuse of of power and the the sort of psychological profiles that that led nazi germany are they apparent today? Is that being, is that happening? Oh, you mean like we had to evade Iraq and take out their leader because of weapons of mass destruction? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So obviously that the president, Colin Powell, et cetera, et cetera, testified at the UN. They have weapons of mass destruction. We have intelligence. Uh, chemical weapons. He's involved in 9/11. We got to go in there and take him out. And then, within a few years, it's no, they didn't have any weapons of mass destruction. No, they weren't doing anything in the German warfare department. And no, they didn't have anything to do with 9/11. And that happened you know, less than 25 years ago. And the switcheroo in positions was with just a few years. Yeah. So, so then, okay, what are the options there? Okay, so the CIA and the political apparatus are actually that incompetent that they thought it was necessary to invade a country 
because they genuinely believed there was weapons of mass destruction and they genuinely believed he was involved in 9-11. Oh, but it turned out that was wrong. I mean, they're th that incompetent? So that's one theory, right? The other theory is, no, they're not that incompetent. I mean, there's an incredible high-tech skilled people. So therefore, they knew it wasn't true. There's only those two options. Yeah. Which I don't believe they're anywhere near that incompetent. And then whether you pin that on the political apparatus or you pin that on the intelligence community or jointly, I don't know. But that's a, we just invade a country and assassinate their leader and loot the palace. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing with Noriega. So Noriega, you know, he's, head of his country. Is he a good guy? Not exactly a good guy. And he's heavily involved in drug running. He's probably an asset of the United States. And then all of a sudden, for some reason that's not clear, he gets on the bad list. So what do we do? We in, we're not at war with this country. Panama wasn't exactly a threat to the U.S. national security. There's no terrorist operations being run out of Panama and U.S. soil. We go in there. We take him out. We put him in prison in the United States the rest of his life. So why? So I haven't got the faintest idea why, but there's got to be a why in behind the scenes that explains that. You obviously pissed somebody off or broke some rule or went too far or, yeah. or they had to cover something up. But there's some believable, sensible reason why that was done, right or wrong. But we just get this sort of pablum public version. Yeah. Same with the invasion of Granada. So Granada, like, I don't think Granada was a threat to national security. I don't think they were going to invade the United States. I don't think they had nuclear weapons. Why did we have to go invade Granada? Well, to protect the medical students. But the medical students and the director of the medical school said everything was fine. We weren't concerned about security. So again, it's just, you get this public story that has nothing to do with reality. And you have no idea what the real agenda was in the background, but somebody knows what it was. Yeah. You, know, you don't activate the US military to invade a country because you think the medical students might be at risk. It's ridiculous. Yeah, a lot of really ridiculous kind of fairy tales that they put out. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, and it's certainly contentious. But uh, uh, you know, you mentioned Guantanamo Bay uh, earlier, and I can't, I couldn't help but notice, you know, the, the parallels between how those prisoners are treated. I know a lot of them wear are forced to wear face masks. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I sort of saw that happening in in society. I live in New York City, and it's uh, I kind of, you know, I mean, there were a lot of parallels for me with with that. Everybody, it, it sort of seemed like everything became like a very sensory deprivation type of prison. Uh, right. Informed consent went out the window. Uh, yeah, it was kind of surreal to me. Well, so uh, I've. Uh, 
don't know if I'd say I've been involved, but I've in a very small kind of obscure neurology journal. This is early in that pandemic. I published a series of papers about face masks and so on. Um, just pointing out that these are just like obvious facts, right? So up until mm, February of 2020, when the Surgeon General of the United States said in public, there's no need to wear a face mask. And Fauci has said, there's no need to wear a face mask. Yeah. So that was up until February. And then by April, May, we're having mandates to wear face masks because there is new data. There was no new data whatsoever. Up until uh, the start of the pandemic, there's already published a meta-analysis is where you gather up all the studies and do an overview analysis. So there are several different meta-analyses already published mainstream medical literature on randomized controlled trials for face masks during viral epidemics. And one of the papers, so one, one analysis had like five, six papers, another one had like nine papers, another one found 11 studies where there's randomization to face masks or no face masks. Every single study found no difference whatsoever in infection rates for wearing face masks in public. So this is this was the, and there's wasn't one study that found any effect from face masks. It was four decades before yeah. 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So these were known medical facts, which explains why in previous epidemics nobody was walking around with face masks on in the United States. There was no need. Right. Inside hospitals. So like I was a medical student. We didn't wear face masks in hospitals <laughs> unless we were in the OR, the delivery room or maybe an isolation room. Yeah. Because everybody knew there was no need. And what was the purpose of face masks? It was not to stop you from getting the flu. It was when you're in the OR, stuff splashes in your face. Right. It's to stop macro droplets of blood. Everybody has agreed. So then what do we hear in the in the uh, in the propaganda? Oh well, um, you know, the virus obviously is transmitted from person to person and through the air. We had all this cleaning surfaces stuff for a few months, but then you know, it turned out that wasn't necessary. Uh, and it's really, you don't really need to wash your hands because how many people are getting you know, COVID from picking their noses because the germ was on their hand first? Like it's not happening. Or how many people are getting COVID from shaking hands? It doesn't happen. It's all transmission through the air. So then you saw these scary uh, little videos or still pictures online of somebody sneezing and there's like big spray coming out of their eye, out of their noses. And it's like, oh my God, this is how <laughs> COVID is getting transmitted. Wait a minute. When was the last time you were in a public place and somebody sneezed violently on you enough to make you <laughs> feel droplets? Yeah. Or came up and coughed in your face and so then so that's absurd what are the physics of or the more the uh sort of physics but what are the actual construction facts about these typical cloth face masks that we wear in hospitals all the time not the n95s which do protect a little better 
the uh, viruses in general, but the COVID virus is 0.1 microns in size. Yep. The pores in the mass are 500 to 1,000 times the size of the virus. You think those, it's literally like, so my analogy is, the Department of Agriculture is concerned about mice coming onto people's properties in cities. So what they've recommended is you put a stake in the ground every 40 feet. <laughs> well, it's just in case. Yeah, That's literally what it's like. And not, not even the that. The like... invisible to the virus. So, okay, well, what about aerosols? Yeah. Aerosols are, you know, one micron in size. Okay, so the, the hole in the mass is only 50 to 100 times the size of the aerosol. And then it's a, oh, droplets, 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 droplets. This is why we have to wear masks. The mask can stop macro droplets. That's a fact. But then, you know, months and months and months and months and months later, after we've decided there's no need to be watching these surfaces all the time, we go, well, it's not really droplets. It's aerosols. That's why we have to wear masks to stop the aerosols. But masks can't possibly, just based on their design, stop aerosols. And then we're back to, we have all this data showing not one study found any difference between mass and no mass. And then there's a study in the, uh, in Denmark. Yeah, the Danish study. Get it published in one or two mainstream journals. They had to go to the third journal, even to get the study published. Yeah. And there's like 5,000 people in Denmark in the study, mass, no mass. There's no difference in infection rate during the pandemic. The November 2020, it came out. I know that study. Mm -hmm. So that's the one randomized controlled study during the pandemic. Then there was one somewhat shaky methodology in uh, Pakistan, either northern India or Pakistan, also found no effect from face masks, but it wasn't like all that well designed. So then you go to the CDC website or you go to the mainstream authorities and they're referencing the proof that face masks work. So what is one example of the proof? If you went to the CDC website, there was like articles from the 80s and the 90s, physics articles, that had nothing to do with public infections whatsoever. So you go, okay, get rid of those references, and you get down to, oh, there's a study uh, which was a nail salon in Ohio. And the two workers in the salon turned out to be COVID positive, but they wore face masks. And there's like a hundred and something, 102 or something customers came in during that few days and none of them developed you know, the COVID illness. Oh, okay. But did we do any kind of tests on any of them? No, we didn't test any of them. EUA only. Yeah. So this is the proof that face masks work. So that's called anecdotal evidence, right? Uncontrolled anecdotal evidence. Everywhere in medicine, randomized controlled trials, I hate to say it with Donald Trump in the wings here, but Trump, anecdotal evidence. Anecdotal evidence cannot override randomized controlled trials. It's accepted everywhere in medicine without any debate. Mm -hmm. When we come to the pandemic, all of a sudden we don't even reference all the randomized control trials. They don't exist. And we're using nail salon as the proof that face masks work. 
So you, you couldn't get away with this in most areas of medicine. Yeah, with the plastic hits. This becomes study. like the CDC's official proof that masks work. So then, since it's scientifically certain that they don't work, and the, the end of the story is just a few months ago, the Cochrane Reviews, C-O-C-H, yeah. everybody agrees that's the most prestigious, most authoritative, best methodology reviews. And they review all kinds of stuff in medicine all the time. Cochrane Review, all the randomized controlled trials on face masks, plus some other things, no evidence of any effect whatsoever. So now the most authoritative you know, evidence in medicine is exactly the same as before the pandemic. Face masks have no effect. But now we're hearing like the mainstream doctors saying, no, that's not true. Yeah. Actually, it showed that there was an effect. Yeah, they're already gaslighting the shit out of it. Right. Yeah. And uh, one of the comments on, so that Danish study, in the middle of the pandemic, they're saying, well, it was just a small study. It's it was the biggest ever people. done. Right? But you're 100 point. people at the nail salon, that's your evidence? <laughs> so, and then you're, you're hearing doctors now, currently, face masks work, we know they work, science proves they work. The science is crystal clear that they don't work. How could they work? And then why are we back to not wearing face masks? Is the pandemic over? Why did we stop furiously cleaning surfaces early in the pandemic? It wasn't even at its peak yet. Hmm. How come it was necessary and then it became unnecessary? And what about contact tracing? So public health people are always doing contact tracing, like for yeah. syphilis or whatever, right, or TB. So what are they going to do? They're going to do contact tracing. Okay. So I got COVID. Nobody in my household has it. And I went to a movie and I went to the grocery store. Well, who are your contacts? I don't know. A whole bunch of strangers out in public. So contract tracing is just absurd. It's never going to work. And why do you have to do contract tracing if your wife got COVID and then you got COVID a few days later? It's obvious where it came from. So then contact tracing, contact, and then that just sort of disappeared. Nobody was doing contact tracing anymore. Yeah. It's all just this kind of, here's what we do, and here's the puppet show. It was a very big puppet show. And what's really funny to me is that the mask debate is really uh, moot because people are walking around with their eyes open, their, their ears uncovered. I mean, right. and if, you know, by their own you know, articles, whatever, they've, they've fully admitted that uh, in their germ theory land, uh, you know, those are pathways for, for these so-called pathogens. Right. And so that to me is like, I always say, it's like, well, you're, you're, it's like diving in a submarine with the screen door open. Right. You know what I mean? If you're, you're worried about two entryways, but not the other two. You know what I mean? So it's kind of just shows that the whole thing was was moot. And if you ask a virologist, which I recommend anybody talk to a virologist sometime, they'll tell you that they can't even find viruses in bodily fluids. And if you ask them why, they'll tell you, oh, there's not enough to find. They only find viruses in a culture. 
that's a that's a rabbit hole for people to jump jump down but uh that's a fact it's just a fact they they will tell you they cannot find it and meanwhile so if they can't find it in saliva why are you know these people are wearing masks it's crazy you know they say they can only grow true even if they could find it in saliva the pandemic happened because people were spitting on each other in public (laughs) who cares if it's in saliva it's irrelevant Yeah. Well, they think it's just floating around in the air. I mean, they made it sound like there's just clouds of like, you know, nanometer sized particles floating around everywhere. You know, the the hidden en- enemy, the Taliban of the of the air or the body, you know. But at the same time, social distancing only has to be six feet because it drops out of the air. Yeah. What drops out of the air, though, is the droplets, not the aerosols or the free viruses. So then wait a minute. Now you're telling us that the droplets drop out of the air. The droplets are causing the pandemic. You'll be safe if you're six feet away. And then you're telling us, no, it's not the droplets. It's the aerosols that don't drop out. And you need more than six feet. And why six? When they, I think they were asked why, and they were just like, oh, no, it's arbitrary. Right. Well, it can't be 100 feet, right? What's that? It can't be 100 feet. Right. Yeah. This is the fact. If nobody came within... 100 feet of another human being, there'd be no pandemic. That's <laughs> obvious to everybody, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't socially engineer that. Right. But what are the what are the repercussions I'm wondering, you know, from all of this face mask wearing? I think we've seen it in, in children, especially. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to let go of them now. You know, they're always in face masks, even when, you know, no... They, they're claiming the pandemic's over and all that. Especially in Japan, China, etc. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing it for a long time. Um, so it's even worse. Like, they're, they're the, yeah, the worst off, I think, because they, I mean, they already had that in their culture, and now they're, like, terrified of letting go of it. Right, right. Um, so have you seen, what have you seen as far as, like, the, the repercussions in, on the psychological end? I'm not sure what I've seen. I mean, there's a lot of unnecessary fear and then a lot of unnecessary I'm safe now. But it's peculiar how everybody bought in and now they've just suddenly bought out. Whereas the public health people don't say that it's gone away. They just say it's gone way down. So how come you have to wear a mask when the odds are this percent of getting it, but you don't have to wear when it's this percent? Mm-hmm. And how come we're just back to why weren't we wearing face masks every flu season? Because it varies up from season to season, but it's like before COVID, it was twenty to 60,000 people dying per year in the U.S. from the flu. Yeah, which disappeared, by the way, by 98%. <laughs> yeah, that's another really oddball, weird thing. <laughs> yeah. So then this whole question of, the debate of dying from COVID versus dying with COVID. Yeah. How many of the people died from COVID actually died from the flu? And if the flu went away, why didn't COVID go away? It doesn't add up, right? Yeah. Well, the, the mask supposedly worked for one virus, but not the other. That's yeah. why they, they say masks were the cause of uh, the flu disappearing. But meanwhile, COVID cases were rising and that had nothing to do with, you know, the, the, the bullshit test that they, they had, the quote-unquote test that they were using. Yeah. 
so it's just to me like it's very discouraging because okay i can see like you know quotes high school graduate working class people they just believe what the doctor says okay that's fine i don't fault them for that but like the intelligentsia the medical profession just buying in totally and being like hostile and militant about it and like attacking people to disagree. It's the same pictures we were talking about before with these polarized opinions. And the bulk of the medical profession completely bought in and condemned that you're, you're yeah. an anti-vaxxer, you're an anti-masker, you're killing grandma, all this stuff. Yeah. Is that We're in trouble if that's the best we get out of the medical profession. Oh, yeah. Big trouble. I uh I was shocked. I'm still shocked by what I see in the medical profession. I mean, I've you know, I try to stay away from them now. <laughs> well, that's always the best plan. Yeah, if you can. Uh all right, uh Doctor, well, I appreciate your time very much. I don't want to keep you too long. I know it's been uh almost two hours here. Well, I'm exhausted now. I gotta go lie down. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's been super informative uh thank you so much is there is there any uh, where people can follow your work or check you out or you can just call an a ross md you can search that'll take you to the ross institute website which is r-o-s-s-i-n-s-t.com which is short for institute or i have trauma recovery institute and that website is traumarecoveryinst.com. And then I've got tons of books on Amazon. It's not hard to Google. I recommend people pick find those up. Pages that say uh, what a complete idiot I am and I've caused all this suffering <laughs> and false. <laughs> I'm sure there's tons of that. But if there if there wasn't, I'd be concerned. Uh, yeah, just, that's true. Yeah, it just means you're you're telling the truth nowadays. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you for the so, conversation. Absolutely. You too. Thanks again. I hope you'll, you'll come back sometime and, and sure. chat again. Yeah, that would be, that would be terrific. Um, if you're new to the podcast, uh, please subscribe, consider subscribing and, uh, sharing with your friends. Thanks. Uh, thanks for listening.